At that point, I, I felt like I had accomplished a lot. There was a lot of stuff that I felt like I brought true value to people and, and changed lives. I felt like I did service to the country. But there was a part of me that felt like all these side businesses I was doing that excited me. Like I would, I, I couldn't wait to to work on something, to progress it. I, I'd stay up till two in the morning sometimes just because I lost track of time and how fun it was to create these things and build this business. I felt like, man, I should really do this full time. Uh, I should really see if I can pull this off in the, in the real world. Welcome to Find Your Mission. I'm actor and activist, Melissa Fitzgerald. This podcast will bring you into the lives of United States veterans and guide you along on their journey from private citizen to service to entrepreneur. You'll learn from these men and women how they handled the trials and tribulations of service and how they applied those same lessons to new ventures when they left the military and tried their hands at business. I hope these journeys inspire you to push yourself further, believe in your goals, and maybe find your own mission. Thank you to our friends at WeWork, Veterans in Residence, a WeWork and Bunker Labs partnership. Veterans in Residence is a highly selective six-month startup incubator and leadership program. It provides veteran and military family member entrepreneurs the community business support, and a workspace to help launch and grow their businesses. Find your tribe. Create your life's work. Learn more at we.co slash veterans. That is we.co slash veterans, or click on the link in the show notes. Also, thank you to our friends at Dell Small Business. There was really no other path that would have made sense for Ian. He was destined for the army from the day he was born. And he had followed his fated path. But now, there was a new destiny he was chasing after. He was going to be a successful entrepreneur no matter what the cost. He was going to scale up all the things he had already done. But how do I get there, he thought. The answer would come from his past experiences, both as a military officer and as an already successful businessman. Two careers he was able to do simultaneously. But to understand how he got there, let's go back to the beginning. Ian was born on a military base in Germany, and spent his childhood traveling around the world. During his formative years, he saw his father serve in the army and his older brother head off to West Point. So it was almost predestined that Ian himself would find his way into the army. But uh, really, I think it came down to the character building aspects of West Point and what I felt like they were trying to uh, teach you as a leader in the military, which was you know, a lot around values and honor. So I, I really thought that was appealing, uh, something I wanted to be a part of. At 18, he shipped off to West Point, excited to follow his call to serve and to do so at a place that honored values and character building. 
there were high expectations and challenges Ian knew he could rise to meet. Ian succeeded at West Point under the rigor of a brutal schedule and constant monitoring of activities. And when it was time to ship out on his deployment, he felt ready to serve. But you see, there's something no one ever tells you about being deployed. Yes, it's brutal. Yes, you're far away from your home and the people you love. And yes, you have missions to accomplish, people to answer to, and young troops answering to you. But you also have a lot of downtime. Hours and days at a time you were sequestered on base, left with your own thoughts and a group of people, most of whom you've never met before. What you do with that time is up to you. Ian needed to be productive. He was itching to do something, learn something, achieve something. Back in college, Ian thought that the business and self-help books that his roommates would read were a joke. But when he picked one up himself while on the deployment, he poured over it, eager to learn more with every page. When I left West Point, I, I read a book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. It was the first time I've ever read a book that's focused on business or, or making money. But once I read this book, I, I decided, hey, wow, the, the army pay is, is really fixed. When I read that book, it was the first time I realized that making a, a fixed salary doesn't mean that my wealth stops there. You know, that's as much money as I can make. It really opened my eyes to understanding I could take that money and I could go make more money with it. You know, whether it's stocks and mutual funds or whatever, or maybe I can invest in real estate, or maybe I can start an online store and sell some kind of product. Those were like the ideas that just suddenly flooded into my mind when I read that book. And this was right as I first started in the Army. Ian had figured out that a life in the military is predictable, while life as an entrepreneur has no such predictability. The possibilities were endless, but so were the risks. Ian was excited, and he didn't want to wait to dive into his new adventure. While still on active duty, Ian launched his first business venture. He bought some property back in the United States and rented it out short-term to people looking for a place to stay. It was Airbnb before there was Airbnb, but on a much smaller scale. Then he set up a service that would hail a ride for servicemen and women who needed a lift after maybe having a few drinks and not wanting to drive home. It was Uber before there was Uber, but on a much smaller scale. It turned out that Ian had a knack for this, and he figured out a way to keep his businesses up and running even when he was half a world away, deployed overseas, fighting a war. Anyone who knew what he was doing asked him for advice, guidance, or for the opportunity to invest. By the time his contract with the Army was due to expire, Ian had a decision to make. He had fulfilled his original destiny, proudly serving his country. But should he continue on the path and spend his life in service? Or should he chase a new destiny? The passion comes from the idea of, of trading something that I've built for somebody's money. I, and it's just convincing them that the trade is good enough. It's in their favor. 
they've worked hard for their money. I want to build, I want to build a product or give them a service that they love so much they're willing to give me that money that they earned. Ian had fallen in love with being an entrepreneur. And so far, he'd been successful in his own right, bootstrapping 10 businesses all while on active duty. He could have continued on this path, but he was ready to do more. He wanted a different future. He decided to leave the military and pursue entrepreneurship full-time. But there was a problem. At this time, there was very little help offered to veterans who wanted to become entrepreneurs during transition classes. Other than a couple of classes on how to write a resume and what to say in an interview, the training for veterans who wanted to make it in business was sorely lacking. Ian decided to enroll in business school to get an education and, hopefully, an idea for his next big venture. He found both at Cornell University, where he received his MBA and linked up with business partners who were looking to solve the problems of the future. They created an open source risk management and tracking system that would allow businesses to assess compliance and security risks associated with their products. They called the company Gitlinks and raised venture capital to help get it going. This was what Ian had wanted. A real startup experience with real investors, big risks, and huge rewards on the line. But it was harder than he had anticipated. And those investors were expecting a lot. In the game of venture capital, in the game of convincing people that you have something that's, that's gonna make a, a splash in the market, you gotta get small wins. If two years goes by and you haven't landed any clients or you haven't made any significant impact, it's bad for your next fundraising round. What does a small win look like? And how does it lead to bigger wins? We'll let Ian Fulau tell you what it's like to turn a little more than a $600,000 investment into a company that was acquired by a multi-billion dollar organization. Plus, Ian will share the new venture he's working on now that brought his two destinies, to be in the military and to be an entrepreneur, together at last. Hear it all from him after the break. To succeed in small business, you need technology that runs efficiently. When you partner with the Dell Small Business Technology Advisor, you get advice, one-on-one partnership, and tailored productivity solutions, including computers with Intel Core processors, servers, storage, networking, plus thousands of top-brand electronics, accessories, and software. It's how they help your small business make the most of every moment. To speak with an advisor today, call 877-BY-DELL. That's 877-BY-DELL. Welcome to Find Your Mission. I mean, Faison Chief Content Officer here at Mission.org. And we have, on the other line, Ian, what's going on? Hey, Ian, what's going on? It's like we're talking to a strangely mirrored version of each other. Two ENFs, both from West Point. Were you in Boy Scouts too? I was in Boy Scouts. The similarities are just mounting up. I don't I don't think I made it to Eagle, though. I got it. I got it. 
as close as I could without actually getting it. My bad. It's all right. We're going to get aggregated someday and, uh, and it'll be a lot of, uh, a lot of different stuff. Startup founder. <laughs> it's not every day that I get to talk to another Ian. So you decide to get out. How many businesses do you have at this point in time? A lot of business. I would say probably about 10 businesses I started while before getting out of the military. So you have all of this knowledge that you're building yourself self-taught in in most cases and you kind of have this serial entrepreneur nature do you think that like the term serial entrepreneur is like a little loaded like sometimes you kind of have people who who think that that's like a negative thing because they're always kind of working on to the next thing or do you kind of look at it as more of like a serial learning mindset or a serial problem solver yeah, I like I like that perspective. Yes, yeah, serial learner. And I definitely think that I've learned from every one of my ventures. I wouldn't say any of them crashed and burned to the point that I lost my shirt. Um, and there was and and I found out over time how do you mitigate risk when you do this? You know, when you start a business, how do you mitigate these risks? And every time was a little bit easier. Um, and less risky because I understood that idea of uh, potential failure. Explain the problem that you were trying to solve with Gitlinks. Yeah, so with Gitlinks, um, that's the company I started right after business school. And I raised a bunch of venture capital for it. And the problem that I was solving was a space that I thought was trending. And so I, I looked at the open source software space, which is a bunch of code that's free and open for use um, and download on the internet. You'll find millions of open source programs and, and libraries across the internet. And uh, I looked at that space and I said, I, I think this is a space that we should start building a product in. Um, let's go find out the problems. Um, because with every trend that's growing, there's gotta be problems all along the way that it's building up. We just don't think about it very often. Um, so I went out to a bunch of Fortune 500 companies. I was living in Manhattan at the time. And, um, uh, you know, you have the luxury of just kind of going door to door sometimes with uh, big companies out in New York City and spoke with CEOs, CTOs, chiefs of security, and just kept talking about this topic of open source until we came up with a big problem to solve. And the big problem was essentially we use a bunch of it. I know our developers use open source code, but we don't track it. And I said, well, if you don't track it, how do you how do you mitigate any risks? I mean, how do you how do you know if there's a problem? He said, well, I, we just don't. Um, if we could track it, we could. And so I said, well, if I could track it for you, if I could tell you what it is, what what you're using, what would concern you? What do you want solved? And they say, well, there's security vulnerabilities we need to pay attention to. There's updates that need to be made. There's patches that need to be uh, made as well as there's a license a lot of times associated with this stuff that we download that we're not paying attention to, meaning we could get sued. So I said, well, if I package all that together, I told you what you're using. Anytime a developer puts a new open source code, I'll tell you that they're doing it. And I'll tell you exactly whether or not it needs updated, if it needs patched, if there's a license compliance issue, if there's security vulnerability, is that beneficial? And they said, yes, absolutely. So we just built that product. You have talked about in the past the idea of building a team in a unique way. How would you recommend that people who are looking to build a team, whether it's co-founders or whether it's hiring people, um, what would be your recommendation? Yeah, I, I think you have to mix yourself up with people that are not like you. So I think it'd be easy for me to find my best friends and say, hey, let's start a company. 
Um, and I'm sure they would join and, and we'd go out and we'd try to hit the streets and build a company. I think when it comes down to building the solution and running the different parts of the company, that might not be the best answer. And typically it isn't the best answer. And I, I like to think and consult people and advise them when they're building their teams, find people that aren't like you. Um, find people that complement you and your skill set. There's so many parts of a business that you need to worry about. And if you have people that are identical to you, you're just constantly stepping on each other's toes. You need to find people that will, will stay in their lane, you stay in your lane, you guys uh, pursue and excel in your lanes. You guys come together and you complement each other in building the actual business, but the more you're overlapping, the more you're stepping on each other's toes. So that's what I really focused on, uh, finding people that aren't like me. Uh, so hanging out in places that I, I would say I don't belong um, as a non-techie guy. So I would go to hackathons. I would go, uh, you know, hackathons are typically weekends where people are building uh, solutions to problems. So they're filled with designers and coders and I would show up as the non-coder, the non-designer, and I'd say, hey, I got a great idea for a business. I got a great problem uh, or way of looking at this, and I will do everything that's not building the product, meaning I will go out to the users. I will go out to the uh, potential users, and I'll interview them, and I'll really uh, dissect what their problem is, what they want solved. Um, and I will help architect this thing and I'll help get you guys water and refreshments and uh, every resource necessary to really push. Um, and if you're staying up till six in the morning, so am I. You know, and I think there's a lot to be said about that idea of uh, standing by each other, even though the actual you know, product that needs to be built, you, you're, you don't really have an impact on that, but you have an impact on on morale, you have an impact on motivation and, and overall purpose. So I did a lot of that. You know, I kind of spent a lot of times and places, uh, volunteered to be at, uh, you know, conferences and events or, or host things that I had no idea about uh, from the technical aspects to the creative aspects of things, really just to find really great people, people that I, I vibe with, I get along with, um, and then I take them out for coffee. And we go out for coffee and we talk about dreams and aspirations. And, you know, that's kind of the approach that I took. Was there something that you used your military experience, something that you drew on when you talked to those sort of folks? You know, I found that in, in my career, it's one of those things where, you know, the worst day on the battlefield is, uh, is a lot worse than, uh, you know, the worst day in a startup. But to other people, this is, it could literally be the worst day in their life. You know, there's, um, there's a lot of shades to that sort of stuff. And to be an empathetic leader that, you know, being able to kind of impart that that type of wisdom. Did you ever have anything like that that you drew on? Well, I think um, when you look at teams in the military, so everywhere from the squad to the platoon to the company, those people are not people that you hand selected. Those are typically people that come from all walks of life, you know, representing all 50 states and sometimes foreign countries. Uh, thrown together in a, in a small organization and you're said and you're told, hey, you got to accomplish a mission with these guys. I think the people that do the best in those situations are not the people that say, hey, this guy's weak, get him out of my platoon or let's let's figure out a way to chapter this guy out. Um, but the ones that do the best are the ones that say, all right, what's everyone's specific skill set? What's everyone's specific talent? And let me maximize that guy's potential to 
showcase that talent because they might not be PT. I mean, you know, it might not be how many push-ups this guy does or how, how fast he can run two miles, um, but it could be computer programming or it could be uh, the way they dissect uh, an engine part. And you really got to give people the time to showcase their skill set. And then once they show it to you, really try to find out how to, how to maximize that person's capability underneath that specific skill set. I think I learned that from the military. Uh, I continue to try to implement that in, in the teams that I work on and really try to look at, you know, not the job title that the person has uh, been hired for, but this, the things that they actually do. And when you look at that and you, you find, you know, this nuance piece of the pie that they've been working on and you say, man, you do, you do that better than anyone I know, man, that person feels great. And that person wants to do even better. It seems like, you know, one of the adages is the enemy always, always has a vote. It seems like there could be a parallel, like the market always has a vote, right? And I've always thought of this idea. We, we, we talk about it a lot at Mission about like this idea that you can push this thing out into the world, but ultimately like, you know, the feedback is going to be the important thing, the, the best laid plans, right? So it's better to get the plan out there. Was that something, you know, clearly you were doing that, you were pushing A-B tests uh, to the limit and planning routes and all the different contingency plans. Uh, I love that. That's so military. Was that something that like you were consciously doing or was it kind of like a little looking back and being like, wow? Yeah, no, I think that was, again, kind of going back to my earlier entrepreneurial days. That, I mean, that's something that I prided myself on, this idea that people talk, 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 and they don't move. But I, I believed in the, the idea of, let me just take the shot and let's, let's figure out where the shot ended up on the target. If it's up to the right, then let's, let's adjust the shot to go down and to the left. And let me just keep taking shots as opposed to let me, you know, let me zero my gun. Let me make sure the right scope's on. Let me, you know, so that was kind of the idea that I took into the business world was let me just keep taking shots and let me run as fast as I can to see if that, that shot's actually going to hit the target. If it's not, then let's keep adjusting. But nobody's going to wait around for you to figure out you know, if everything is correct and your I's are dotted and yeah, and T's are crossed, you know, they're just gonna, they're gonna, the market's gonna move on without you and you gotta, you gotta get up and ahead of them. I love that analogy. And then like finding the right co-founder is like finding the right spotter, right? So you can just keep taking shots uh, on target and then you have somebody who's telling you, giving you feedback as, as fast as possible, right? Absolutely. So great. I mean, co-founders can be some of your biggest supporters. And, um, you know, if you pick the right co-founder and that person believes in you um, and you give them a reason to be, believe in you, man, they could be so beneficial because really nobody understands what you're going through as an entrepreneur. Like, yeah, you're lying to everybody. Um, <laughs> and to be honest, I mean, you're lying to your parents um, saying everything's going great when it's not because your parents are going to tell you to go back to school or they're going to tell you to go get a job. Uh, you're lying to your spouse because um, you got you to give them the impression that things are not as bad or, or dismal as the outlook really is. You know, in a way, sometimes lying to employees because you don't want to expose that, you know, the investor that you, you said was going to uh, close is, is having second thoughts now. Now you're freaking out that you're not going to get enough money to keep the keep the company going, but you have faith in yourself. But the only person that's really going to understand all those struggles is your co-founder. You know, they're the only ones that are on your level that have everything on the line just as well as you do. So yeah, I mean, having finding co the right co-founder is so key. 
because in the in the other side of the coin, a, co- a bad co-founder uh, could just send your your company up in smokes in no time. I love that idea because and there's got to be a better word than lying, right? Because because <laughs> um, you know it's it's like a lie of omission, right? It's like it's more of a it's more of a faith thing. You know, you have faith that it's actually going to work. I mean, and I, I say lying, and I don't mean lying. I'm not doing it to be malicious in any way. Uh, it's just you have faith in yourself. You know it's going to work out, and you just want your parents to be as faithful in you as as you are. You want your your spouse to be as faithful or believe in as much faith as you have. You know, so it's more around that that idea. Well, yeah, I mean, it's like day five of a workout regimen, right? Is like. It's like, yeah, great workout today. It's like, yeah, I was pushing up, I was pushing up the 10 pound weights. My arms are shaking. Like I, I can't walk tomorrow. It doesn't feel great. Your body feels horrible. But at the end of the day, like, you know, three years from now when you, you know, enter the uh, strongman competition or whatever, (laughs) you know, you'd be surprised about where you came. And I think that that's part of the thing is like, you know, if you said, I'm going to be a strongman on day five, like, you gotta you gotta do the stuff required to make that happen, and it's not lying saying you're gonna be a strongman in five years. Yeah, yeah, and I'm sure you're telling everybody you love the workout, anyways, even though you probably didn't deep down inside. Who were your early customers, or I don't know if you can share that, but you know what was what was the feedback over time? So we started like many early stage companies. We started going for the big companies, um, you know, the big. Fortune 100 companies um, that have these security structures in place with, you know, the VPs of security and, and whatnot. And man, so they compared to elephant hunting, you know, and, and the idea that, you know, you spend so much time with these guys, but in reality, it's going to take at least a year, maybe a year and a half to close these guys. And that for us was a hard lesson um, and, and kind of resource management and understanding that we shouldn't be spending so much time hunting the elephants. Um, they are always going to give us attention because we're a hot new company and we're um, solving a, a legitimate problem that they all know about, but it's still going to take a year and a half to close them. So we had to kind of shift over to the idea of uh, startups and not early stage startups because early stage startups don't have any money. So what stage of startup do we need to focus on? You know. The startup that's just building out their security uh, protocol—that's probably the startup that's hot for us. And and you know we found our our hot spot a little bit later in development. And um, those are the guys that were were, you know, getting us getting us going. We're the the mid stage startups, and uh, through that we had traction that you know made more interest of the the big guys. So it's kind of a lesson learned for us. You know, we, we kind of did a shotgun blast across the market to realize that we need to tighten it up a bit because we just didn't have enough resources to go all over the place and, and wait for a year and a half for deals to close. That's really interesting. So why not just kind of go back to your investors and say, hey, super long sales cycle. Let's increase the value of the product. You know, it's a it's a year and a half sales cycle. We we know this to be the case, or was it just because you couldn't get them to actually like kind of sign the dotted line that you were saying, you know, hey, I don't know if we have enough runway for this or what was the thought process there? People are gonna look at your numbers. So yeah, so I think we, we didn't necessarily adjust the product as much um, to, to target mid-level, but it was just more of our approach. It was, it was who were we gonna spend time at, uh, with, uh, what, what conventions or conferences are we gonna attend 
uh, that have the right target market in it. And it, w- it didn't mean that we just cut off the big guys completely. It just meant that if they were coming to us, then yes, let's have a conversation. But if but we're not going to go hunt them down. What were the surrounding circumstances around you deciding to sell? Yeah. So we sold our company, um, got acquired uh, last year in 2018 by a large uh, tech firm uh, out in New York City. And the idea to sell the company was more around, well, I guess a couple of different things. So the idea to sell the company uh, had to do with two things. One, uh, the market being ripe or whether or not we were still early uh, waiting for the market to be ripe. And we just decided this is the time. Let's go ahead and sell. Let's, um, you know, let's, let's get money back to investors. Let's, let's build a, uh, some kind of resolution to our, our company and let's, let's continue to build companies. You know, that's, that's always kind of been my passion is to not only just solve one problem, but solve multiple problems and keep going. How did WeWork um, and Bunker Labs help you grow your business and you know help facilitate um, where you, where you got as a company? Yeah, so I I built my company out in New York City and I moved it out to Austin, Texas. Um, I've always been passionate about entrepreneurship for veterans, and this was before I had any idea that people were already trying to solve this problem with with nonprofit organizations like. Uh, Bunker Labs. When I transitioned out of the military, I didn't feel like there was any emphasis on entrepreneurship. Um, even though this is that was the sole reason I was getting out of the military was to start a business. There were really no resources other than fix your resume and, and let, let me teach you how to do an interview. But it wasn't for me, you know. So I, I when I left the military, I said, how do I bring together a community of of like-minded people that want to start businesses that have left the military. Bunker Labs is an organization that does that. And I linked up with them quickly when I moved to Austin. They reached out and we had a conversation. I, I met with one of the city leaders out in Austin and I said, hey, I'm, I'm moving a tech company out here. Don't have an office yet. We just decided we wanted to move to Austin and get some more space. And they said, well, we have some office space for you right now if you're kind of in transit. You know, we work just put together this program called Veterans in Residence and we run it. Um, you know, we, it's powered by Bunker Labs. So if you're looking for space, you know, we're building a tribe right now with a bunch of other entrepreneurs that are veterans. And man, I, I, I was excited about it. Not only was it free office space, but the idea of being with other military veterans that are starting businesses was exciting to me. I participated in a program called Patriot Boot Camp a couple of years prior to that. And that was the first time since leaving the military that I had been around other military people. And the idea that they were all speaking my language, a language that I knew in the military and just kind of this mentality was so refreshing. So I said, man, I would love to be a part of this Bunker Labs tribe or Veterans in Residence tribe at, at WeWork. So I became part of the first cohort of Veterans Residence at Austin. The space was awesome. The other entrepreneurs were motivating to me, uh, inspiring to me in a lot of ways. And, and we raised a good amount of money. You know, that cohort alone had raised, you know, millions of dollars. Um, and I think it was just super refreshing how straightforward everybody was. 
how open and honest everybody was about their vulnerabilities and you know the things that they want to improve in their businesses and you know it's just this whole idea of uh, the military culture mixed in to entrepreneurship and business building was was super cool so tell us a little bit about what you're working on now what you're excited about and and how you know pardon the pun here invested you are in in, in the startup community so when i sold uh, gitlinks uh i i moved into a role with a company called lmi and uh, lmi is a government consulting firm um, that served the federal government for over 60 years so there's a long legacy there they're also a nonprofit, which they came to me and said, you know, we have some money that we would like to invest in startups. We see people starting businesses and tech solu- building tech solutions all over the country, uh, sometimes in their garages. And we'd like to get that stuff to the federal government. We have clients that would love to have it, but we want somebody to run this venture fund for us. Um, would you do it? And I said, yeah, that sounds exciting. And it is something I'm excited about. You know, I've always been around, now I'm a city leader for Bunker Labs. I I mentor uh, veteran entrepreneurs all the time, but I sit with entrepreneurs on a daily basis through this uh, venture capital fund, helping them on their business ideas. You know, we, we, I invest money um, in startups at the early stages, and I try to bring partnerships to LMI through, through, these startups that um, you know they can serve the federal government and improve the business of government. So that's those are the the areas that I focus on. And do you feel like you know startups being able to access and kind of build for the government is a is a way of kind of like continuing to serve you know in that entrepreneurial capacity? I know a lot of people who get out, I think, feel that that want and that need to be connected to you know, the military in some way, the government in some way, you know, and, and to have that kind of mission approach, not only to the technology or the companies that they're building, but also in a way to operationalize things that they saw that they could have done when they were in the service. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I mean, there's definitely a mission here with LMI Ventures. And I looked at, obviously, the the startup scene, the entrepreneurial scene while I was in the military. And there were so many cool innovations out there that I totally wish we could have gotten. Like, I, I wish we could have reached out and said, hey, we can we can buy you or we can subscribe to you or we can use you. Um, but it was just too hard. Uh, it was too hard to kind of change a lot of those old patterns. And I think our government's getting around to that now. And, and hopefully that's what I'm doing at LMI Ventures is really finding a way for startups to finally be able to breach the barriers that prevent them from easily selling into the government and making big, big vast improvements in the way we do business. Any other kind of final takeaways or thoughts that you have around, uh, you know, lessons or, or strategy or, or learnings for for our listeners that are military veteran entrepreneurs or just entrepreneurs in general? Building is a very satisfying uh, endeavor. To build something that's that's not, wasn't there before and you thought up the idea, you you went and pursued it and, and you, you, you know, produced it and, and gave it to somebody and they said, man, I love it. I, that, I love that. If anybody's out there thinking of an idea that they want to build, go talk to more users. Go really figure out what they really want because maybe it's they don't want to hold it with their left hand they want to hold it with their right hand you know you probably don't know that unless you talk to them you know there's there's just these little nuances how they would like the product to look how and feel and how 
it should they should interact with it that you're you're not going to get right by just building on your own yeah i like to think about like you know what would get them promoted right like what would if they took this to their boss like hey i just bought this technology or this thing or started doing this and now i'm you know you know whatever 40 percent better at my job that they would you know run and, and tell their spouse or tell their boss or whatever it is those kind of you know, helping them achieve those, whatever results that they were going for. Was there a specific like light bulb moment or, or experience that had you kind of change that focus from, you know, what creating what you wanted to create versus um, making what people wanted to buy? I did go get an MBA at Cornell Tech. I, I spent a lot of time kind of understanding the methodology of design thinking, you know, spent time out in Silicon Valley at Stanford D School and and with IDEO, doing projects with them who really focus on this idea of design thinking. So I, I wouldn't say in a practical sense, like I learned it from my customers. I, I actually learned it through a methodology that was taught to me. Um, so it's not that sexy, but um, it really was eye-opening to me. I mean, the more that we did projects for different companies around solving problems, um, but really spending time interviewing people, I really saw the value in it. And I really saw how this is a game changer. Being able to interview people and talk to them in a way that gets them to open up, that's a skill set. I, I would say I, I learned some of that in the military. I learned some of that in the intelligence field, uh, this idea of elicitation of, of people's thoughts and, um, and information. But, you know, it was a game changer for me. I think it will be something that I continue to focus on as I build more companies. Ian, you're the man. Thanks so much for hanging out. You have a great name. You have a better story. <laughs> it's so clear that you're a student of the game. And it's really cool to hear, you know, you, you kind of built your career brick by brick by, by listening, by paying attention and by learning. You know, it didn't happen by accident, by any stretch. And it's an important, I think, thing for our listeners to know that, like, you know, purposeful, you know, guided thought-driven um, experimentation is, is, a, is a pathway to, uh, to success. Awesome. Yeah. I, I'm happy to share it. This, is, um, this has been a really cool interview. Thanks, man. Talk soon. All right. See you. Ann. Thank you again to WeWork. Veterans and Residents is a partnership of WeWork and Bunker Labs. Veterans and Residents is a six-month startup incubator and leadership program that provides veteran and military family members the community, business support, and a workspace to help launch and grow their businesses. To learn more about WeWork and the Veterans and Residents program, visit we.co slash veterans. That is we.co slash veterans. Find your tribe, create your life's work. Learn more at we.co slash veterans. This podcast was created by the team at Mission. If you want to hear more from Mission, be sure to check out mission.org. There's nothing small about your business. That's why Dell Small Business Technology Advisors are ready to give you trusted advice, one-on-one -on -one partnership, and tailored tech solutions like computers with Intel Core processors. Call 877 by dell to speak to an advisor today.